0: yesterday i was throwing a whole bunch of ideas at you um you weren't responding to any of them and um, i was thinking you're either just so overwhelmed with these like the creativity that was flowing from my little fingers on into whatsapp um so i think there's a whole bunch of different topics we could cover today and uh, before we do that though i think we just want to do a tiny little bit of catch-up because it's been a while since you and i have actually recorded
1: It certainly has. I think it's been maybe two, if not three months. No. Has it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in October now, and I think it was July was our last podcast. Wow. So a lot's happened since then. Yeah.
0: Obviously, since then, there's been some episodes with Teresa that have been put out, and and, uh, I don't Mm -hmm. mind sharing with the listeners that we do put a little bit of a... We do have some episodes we like to have in the bank for uh, when things like summer holidays or other sort of unexpected breaks, even if they come up, then we can always keep keep the um, the machine going. And there was a yeah. bit of a break, I think I had three weeks or so between episodes through September. So yeah, we've been kind of yeah. taking a step back with summer holidays and all that. So did you miss it?
1: Uh, absolutely, I did. Yeah, yeah. It's It's nice to have a little bit of a, a summer hiatus, I suppose, to kind of... You know, regroup and rethink. Um, and I'm glad to see that uh, Teresa has filled in. She's done an amazing job as uh, as your uh, alternate co-host of these podcasts. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Teresa. I think she brings a lot to the podcast. So I think uh, myself and, and Teresa make a, a good combo to, to work with you on these.
0: It's different. I mean, you guys are both very different she brings a well first of all she brings a female voice to the table she brings a, she grew up in europe so it's a different perspective from that point as well and she's uh quite a bit younger than than me so you also get kind of a a, a younger person's perspective on things so it's nice yeah. the tandem going between you two guys um I, i'm enjoying it you and i sort of tackle slightly different things but i'm glad that you are, are enjoying and don't see teresa as a. Uh, you know, competition or something
1: like that? No, far from it. I I welcome it. I think our, our viewers, I'm sure, welcome it as well. As long as Teresa and I both get equal billing, though, right?
0: Oh, well.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, um, hey, th- those salary negotiations could be a bit uh, tricky. <laughs> we're going to have to have a
0: co-host, sort of yeah. co-host off of some kind where you guys have to, like, you know, square off with each other mm-hmm. and uh, see who wins, who's left standing.
1: Yeah, whoever gets the most listeners wins. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think it's it's a great combination, I think, uh I think you made a good decision bringing in Teresa because uh, you're right. It's a different perspective as opposed to, to two men talking to be able to have that female voice, which I think is, yep. is extremely important. Absolutely. And, uh, Teresa's got a lot of life experiences that uh, she's a very interesting person to listen to because, you know, she has some strong opinions, which, which is a good thing. And, this had a lot of life experiences and stories that she can provide and, and provide good context to uh, some of the topics that you tackle. Exactly. So I, I, think, I think these podcasts are in a, we're in a good spot. And again, hopefully our listeners agree with that. And we're always looking at ways to change things up, to improve, um, keep things interesting, keep things current. So this is always a, a changing and, and fluid um, project that we're working on here.
0: It is. I call it a sandbox. You know, it's it's meant for trying different things and which, which has been how it's evolved, you know, going back from the very, very beginning, episodes like 1 through 10. And, and when you joined up, we started trying a few different things like the documentary reviews. We haven't tackled a book yet, but I would like to pot- potentially look at doing that. I'm enjoying the the different things we're trying out. I mean, we sometimes do a weird news story. Sometimes we don't. So if people were tuning in because, you know, that's the only reason they were tuning in before, unfortunately we, we've kind of been hit and miss with those, but we're trying different stuff. You know, the dead or alive thing. I got a lot of good feedback. People found that, that kind of fun to do. We should probably try that again. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's the sandbox. It's a little, uh, it's a lab in a way it's just where we can try out different things and Hey, you know, we can't be all things to all people. I think we, you and I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, how there's various opinions on the show and what we, how we're doing things. And, you know, if we try to please everybody, it's going to please nobody. And the first thing I think we really want to worry about is pleasing ourselves, because if we do that, I think we're going to end up being more happy about what we're producing here and um, it's being true to ourselves.
1: Yeah, you raise a, a really good point there. And I was just going to mention that myself, and that we have to have fun doing this ourselves. The moment this becomes a job or an arduous project where we don't look forward to doing these podcasts, I think that will reflect within the quality of the podcasts. I think the reason why I enjoy doing these is because it's a great way to document. A regular conversation between two friends and I think that's that's the whole attraction that's that's what attracted me to your podcast was the fact that when you initially started these podcasts with Simon there were so many great topics that as a listener you feel like you just want to jump in and, and be that third person to uh, to chime in on those conversations so hopefully we are doing a good job of, of keeping that going um, to, to keep that enthusiasm and, and that love of conversation i think the moment we start venturing away from that then i think we're not as you said we're not being true to ourselves and i think the lack of enthusiasm would start to show within these podcasts as long as we're having fun that's 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 the whole point that's why we have to be doing these i
0: agree yeah you're right if if it starts to feel like a job or too much work um you know because there's been a few times where we've we've thought about certain topics we want to cover off and i'm Starting to do this research midweek on it, and I'm, I don't mind reading up on and doing research, which we certainly do plenty of. Um, there is something, there are moments where I'm starting to feel like uh, I'm. I don't like the way it feels right now, and I want to keep the spontaneity piece in the podcast. I, I don't want us to come in with a set script per se every single time a little bit of prep goes a long way but I think for this to work it has to be a balance of prepping and a balance of just kind of taking it as it goes and just winging it in a way which which I'm okay with
1: we have to remind ourselves that this is about having a conversation and as you said if it's too scripted then that will reflect in that conversation. It won't be interesting. It'll take away the spontaneity, the emotion. So I'd like to think that we've done a pretty good job of of staying true to our our mandate in this, which is to have that relaxed conversation that everyone can relate to.
0: Or learn something about that maybe they can't relate to it, but then they learn from it. So... Good. All right. Well, let's let's get on with it. So we have, uh, I, like I said yesterday, I was throwing a whole bunch of different ideas at you. And then just before we push the record button, you mentioned something that was interesting, which I think I'll save uh, for for after. But why don't we dive into our sort of our main topic we wanted to talk about today, which was around, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the government-supported programs for for drug drug abuse, uh, in particular, like needle supply to drug users, and our opinions on that. And I think you have a number of opinions. Have I teed that up the right way?
1: Yeah, I believe so. Um, so yeah, let me give a little bit of background as to why this topic sort of uh, jumped out at me as to something that I'd like to perhaps tackle today. So with everything going on with with COVID-19 there is obviously been a lot of changes and there's been obviously a lot of effects to um, perhaps like the disenfranchised people, homeless people. There is an article that caught my interest about, and again, I'm not sure if it's maybe because of the economic impacts of COVID, but there's been a rise in so-called tent cities. Um, I guess, large groups of homeless people that create these um, 10 cities, which is not uncommon in many large metropolitan cities. It's been around for a very long time, unfortunately, but I think more so over the last few months because of everything going on with economic uncertainty, um, there's been less money provided to a lot of social services and and services have been impacted with everything going on. Anyway, the the point of this story was that um, because of the the rise in some of these tent cities, there's been an increase in the amount of drug usage. So this article that I read was that there is this tent city that has cropped up in this park in Toronto. I believe it was Alexandria Park. I'm not sure whereabouts in the city that is, but Mm -hmm. the point being is that there was... Um, local residents have complained that there has been needles, um, drug paraphernalia, scattered about this park, to the point where people do not feel safe going there. They certainly don't feel safe providing, allowing their children to go there. Um, there so is just so people know,
0: it's in, it is in Toronto, it's at Dundas and Spadina. Dundas Street West on the north, Spadine Avenue on the east is the location of Alexandra Park. Just just wanted to put that in there in case people wanted to look that up. Mm -hmm. Sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, and the article stated the fact that local residents have seen discarded needles around children's playground area. Mm. Mm. So it got me thinking about a topic that I've been giving thought to for a little while, and that's the whole debate about uh, the... The safe injection sites, which is a relatable topic, as to that might explain why there is a prevalence of needles, why there is so much drug paraphernalia, um, how this how the homeless population get access to all these needles in, in drugs. And just to to give a little bit of background, I'm sure most people are familiar somewhat with the concept of safe injection sites, but um, it's basically uh, I guess areas where um, drug users can, can use drugs in a safe and um, I guess supervised area yep. where trained professionals give them needles. Uh, I don't believe they provide them with the drugs themselves, but I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but essentially, yeah, the safe injection sites, it's a supervised area where people can inject, some, inject themselves with drugs. And this has been an issue which there's obviously pretty strong feelings on both sides. There's a lot of um, proponents for this concept that would argue that, you know, this helps to save lives, perhaps. Um, It gets people with addictions uh, to, well, one quote that I saw was that it helps them to reconnect with society and get them access to health services and there was also mentioned that within these safe injection sites, that it helps to prevent um, or reduce the likelihood of, of overdoses. That there is, uh, as I said, trained professionals that are able to respond um, with the the medical expertise to, to help these people if that were to, were to be the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it all comes down to the whole concept of, of harm reduction. And I I understand that I I, I get why there is a lot of proponents to this idea. But I bring this up because it's something that I kind of struggle with in that at the end of the day, I have I've done some research on this and I still come back to the, to my own opinion that I just do not agree with it. That at the end of the day, you are still condoning illegal drug use. You're enabling people to continue their addictions. And Okay, I want I to clarify it,
0: one thing. If I, When uh, you talked about the needles in the park, like, are you saying that you're blaming the safe injection sites for that, or is that a separate topic?
1: I am kind of blaming the safe injection sites, because how else would what they have... What makes you think
0: they came from there?
1: Well, there's a prevalence of safe injection sites throughout the city. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't know if... If, in terms of the number of of needles to to say how many came from the safe injection sites, I I obviously don't have those numbers, um, and and I'm not necessarily correlating between the safe injection sites and the needles in the park, but I think it is a related topic, and and that's what prompted me to think about or or want to discuss this uh, this topic of the safe injection sites because I think it all sort of comes down to to the big picture, and that as a society, I think we are becoming a bit, um, I guess we, we are enabling or, or condoning illegal drug use within the city. And I know that this is a big issue right now, and especially it's being highlighted because of of the civil unrest in the U.S. And the, and the U.S. election coming up. Well, COVID-19, there's a
0: lot of people... And, who become yeah. more addicted to things or it's, it's either gotten worse or they become addicted. Absolutely, yeah. On, de- on, dep- has, on substances.
1: Yeah, this year has, has been a unprecedented year for all that kind of stuff with respect to economic and, and social unrest and uncertainty. But yeah, I, in answer to that question, I, I don't know if there is a direct correlation between those particular needles found in Alexandria Park versus the actual safe injection sites. But it, it just it got me to thinking about these safe injection sites, where in that okay. if you are providing free needles to homeless people or to drug addicts, and obviously some of those needles are going to end up in public parks. The places where they're residing. Well, they're, they're living in these tent cities. Hold on so a second.
0: So, one thing we need to know more about, I think, is whether or not. And maybe you look this up, but my guess is, at a safe injection site, you go in, you get injected. I I bet you their needles aren't leaving the property.
1: I think they are. I, I'm pretty sure they are. So
0: they, they give the they needles do give out
1: free needles. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So okay. they are providing them with the, I guess, with the devices they need. For, for their drug usage. So, I yes, can totally... Uh, uh, I,
0: okay. We definitely can... We know just from the past episodes we've done that you you definitely fall on the conservative side of the political <laughs> spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, enabling drug use, absolutely. The words on... Those words in isolation do sound pretty negative. Mm-hmm. But how much have you been exposed to addiction, and what, how
1: addiction works. Well, that, that's a good point. I am very lucky to say that I have not been exposed to addiction myself. Um, I haven't had any close friends or close family that have been exposed to addiction. So, yes, I understand that I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, providing my opinion when I haven't had that impact myself on my life. However... I asked myself, the question is, if my son were to be addicted, what would I want for him? Mm-hmm. And the answer would be, no, I would not want him to be provided free drugs and free needles, because that would enable his habit. Wait, hold and, on a sec.
0: Uh, Wait, before uh, you go there, what would you ultimate? what do you, what would you ultimately, if he had a drug problem, what would you actually want for him?
1: What I would want for him... Would be the more so on the drug prevention side. Instead of enabling an illegal habit, which ultimately may or may not result in serious harm or even death, I think the focus should be on on the drug prevention, the rehab, and the addiction counseling. Like but, I would, but what, that is part,
0: it, Some of that is part of that. That the yes drug no. enablement like, or or a safe injection site. Mm-hmm. is often part of a larger treatment plan for people who have addictions. That to just simply throw them in a cell and have them work it out, you know, like kind of like in Ray. Remember the movie Ray when uh, mm-hmm. Ray Charles is in that facility and it's like he's having nightmares because of the heroin uh, withdrawal and he, like he, he kind of goes crazy almost. First of all, they can't afford to put everyone who has a, a, an addiction into a facility like that and keep them away from these substances so but but i'll go back to your son for a sec what ultimately do you if your son had a drug problem on its simplest terms what would you like to see change in that scenario if,
1: if someone close to me had a drug problem i wouldn't want them to be just given handed drugs or handed needles Hold on and say, off you go what? though but what no, you but want? That, that's what they do provide. Okay, but what? So, okay, I'll just say it. This is what you want. You want your son to stop using drugs. Well, obviously, yes. But right. if there has to be a program that that effectively places these individuals within the the drug prevention, that the rehabilitation programs, the the only way you're going to break this cycle is that you have to find ways to get people to get off the drugs.
0: Now I understand. But what if that safe injection sites is a way to get people off the drugs?
1: But the problem with the safe injection sites is that you're just again you're enabling the 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 problem. So let me put it to you this way: if if you're an alcoholic, obviously as an alcoholic, you would want to get help, such as going to AA meetings, counseling, um, mm-hmm. detox. Helping you overcome your alcoholism does not involve giving you a, a two-four of beer every weekend and sending you on your way. So, how, how is how is providing drugs and needles any different from that? I wouldn't give you a case of beer to overcome your alcoholism. Well,
0: okay. So, I have a friend who has quite a bit of experience with an alcohol addiction. And one of the things, and this is where a lot of, we we have a lot of a, beliefs and opinions around things are supposed to work and even when we're told that experts say this and experts say that we sometimes are still skeptical but the friend I'm speaking of when it comes to addiction and getting off of they do not ever say in addiction to alcohol stop drinking there is a process involved and it doesn't just amount to, okay, I want to quit alcohol. Now, that's one person's method, perhaps, is to just say, pour out all the alcohol and, and boom, you just go cold turkey. But look at smoking. People have, uh, they wean themselves off smoking by having nicotine patches and things like that. There's a whole bunch of chemical reactions involved in this stuff that going off the drugs in some cases can be worse than actually staying on them, but in a controlled environment and kind of working your way off them in a, in a proper treatment.
1: I agreed in that, yes, there is a process to the treatment. Um, you are right in that, especially with drugs, you, you need to wean people off of them. But the problem is, is that by providing these needles and safe injection sites, you're not doing that. How you, do you know? No, but it's it's how not a process to wean people off of that. That that's how not. Do you, how do you know that? Because they they keep doing it. Like we we're still having this problem where you have repeat users going to these safe injection sites over a course of like five ten years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because there's been there's been studies done. That, um, there's a safe injection site. One of the very first that opened was in Vancouver, and there's been a lot of studies done. Um, over the participants of the safe injection site, and ten years after the fact, there's still people that are still using. Um, I, I agree with you. When it comes to to drugs or alcohol, yes, there has to be a process to to wean people off to get them into the treatment process so that they can be they can start living their sober lives. That's the key right there is getting people to be sober.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: when you have these injection sites that are just enabling the continuous use of these illegal drugs then it's not really helping these people at the end of the day like the 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 only way you're going to help these people is to get them off the drugs and provide them with with a helping hand to get them out of this this world now i understand that there are some people that sadly enough are, are just unable to be helped. Um, addiction is is a terrible thing. it, it is it can be a very powerful demon within certain people where unfortunately, there's that's the only course for them. Um, and it's sad to say not that you want to leave people behind, but I, I think that the focus should be on trying to help as many people as possible. So one of my overarching arguments here is that, You know, one of the reasons why I have these feelings about the safe injection sites is because at the end of the day, when you look at the big picture, you are enabling and condoning an illegal activity. It is something that can, you know, I guess relate to increased crime. Um, You are allowing crime to propagate because if you are allowing these people to use these drugs makes you wonder how are they getting these drugs are they using their social assistance money to to purchase these drugs which is likely the case are they resorting to criminal activities to get the money to pay for these drugs so you, you you are it's propagating illegal activity in many different forms so there, there has to be a cycle. There, there has to be something that breaks the cycle because I think I don't think the current situation is working very well. And well, I, I'm but not. Pre- I was going to say just because I, there's
0: more tent cities up doesn't mean that it isn't working for some people. Mm-hmm.
1: This, this no, method. I, I, no, I understand that. Obviously, with the rise of tent cities, that is something that perhaps is a direct correlation to some of the economic uncertainty that we're dealing with right now. But when you have needles littering these tent cities, obviously there is rampant drug use within these tent cities. That's a real problem. But nothing is being done about it. You know, the, the illegal drug use is illegal at the end of the day. It yeah, is an illegal activity. The, this
0: is what the law says, so this is how it should be.
1: Well, yeah, like why are some laws enforceable and some aren't? But okay. I, I know I know things have changed a little bit with the legalization of marijuana. And, and yes, I realize that perhaps our enforcement of, of drugs has been a bit more relaxed. But at the end of the day, an illegal activity is being committed here. So why are we okay with that? What if it wasn't illegal? Well, that's a debate all to itself. Uh You know, I have feelings about the legalization of marijuana but i think that's a they said that that's a whole debate all to itself cuz i don't mm-hmm. think we'd need a lot more time to discuss that if we're going down yeah. that road but yeah my you know in in a nutshell i don't agree with the legalization of marijuana i, I don't agree with legalizing drugs it's simple as that but but and, who and
0: says okay so what if alcohol was illegal you just wouldn't drink because because you just because it's illegal like alcohol was illegal when prohibition came in it was illegal and it wasn't before because somebody felt alcohol was going to exacerbate the the depression and and uh or you know it was it was bad it was just a bad thing for society and then look how that turned out you had mob the you know the, the mobs were stronger than ever organized crime got stronger than ever you drink alcohol. What if someone told you... So, so research has been done that suggests marijuana is safer than alcohol in a lot of ways. And so they legalized it. But you still have a problem with... You have an issue with legalizing marijuana. So what's what's going on there?
1: I do. Um, I don't necessarily... My My issue is that I don't have a problem with decriminalizing marijuana. I don't think one should be arrested for... For having possession of marijuana, the reason why my views on this, and maybe this has changed over the years, but as a parent, I ask myself, what would, what do I want my son exposed to? Mm-hmm. And my son is is well, he's going to be turning ten soon, I'm going to become a teenager within the next few years, and I ask myself, as a parent of a soon-to-be teenager. What do I need to be worried about? And the fact that you have legalizing a marijuana, that's one more vice that he is now being exposed to. That's one more thing that, as a parent, you have to wonder about. It's, as a parent, you worry about your kids being exposed to to drinking and driving. You always want to make sure they're kept safe and that they're not, sure, you know, in a vehicle driven by someone under the influence or them being under the influence themselves. But now you're introducing yet another vice into the whole system here, where not only are you dealing with drunk driving, but you're also dealing with people that are high in driving. Okay.
0: All right. So there are vices that exist that are legal today, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Alcohol. Yeah. Gambling. hmm Yeah.
1: Well, 18 yeah, or over,
0: or 19 or over is the Canadian law. You have to be 19 or over to consume alcohol. I think to go into a casino is the same thing. Well, there's plenty of vices out there, and anything could be considered a vice, and it doesn't necessarily have to be illegal. Mm-hmm. So just by making a, a, a legal vice versus an illegal vice, would you rather, if he did decide to try marijuana... Would you rather him buy a a safe and controlled substance from a reputable supplier than to go and get it on the street and God knows what he's getting?
1: Uh, Agreed, yes. If he was to try marijuana, then yeah, absolutely, you'd want it to be safe um, from a a reputable dealer. But I I know where you're going with this, and that if... If someone you knew was a drug user, would you want them to get drugs from a, a safe place or, you know, in a back alleyway? But at the end of the day, you know, when you're dealing with, um, with drug usage, with opioids, that's something that is is so much more incredibly dangerous than dealing with marijuana. Not that that, not that that marijuana can have it, its dangers as well, and you know we could really go down a rabbit hole here and talking about which drug or or which vice is more dangerous than others, but circling back. Gambling has
0: destroyed more families, I'm sure than most other substances as an example.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure it has, you know, there's enough vices out there as, as parents, there's enough vices that, that keep us up at, at at night wondering about our, our kids, especially as they become teenagers in, yeah, as teenagers, that's the you're gonna experiment, you're gonna try new things, but you know to have additional vices sort of thrown out there, it's one more thing to have to worry about. And I would, I don't know. Okay, okay well, for, for here's me, how my yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say to me, it's I believe it's about educating the kids and about setting them up to address these various this world of. Vices and sin that are out there, um, I, to me, it's about educating them in how to make decisions about choices they make. So whether or not you've legalized a vice, I don't that doesn't concern me at all. For me, first of all, my position on marijuana is it's safer than almost any other vice out there. It's safer than dr- uh, alcohol. It's safer than gambling. Um, I I'm I'm have no problem with marijuana legalization. I what I have found that's interesting is I drove by one of these places yesterday. It's it's um not far from our house. It hasn't opened yet. It's coming soon. It's a a dispensary, and you know there's still a little bit of dirtiness when I see that because we grew up being educated that these drugs were bad. We shouldn't be taking them. And so, for many people, you still feel this kind of dirty you gotta go have a shower after you look at one of these places or imagine what if I went in there and checked it out like this is with all the- with how much education was spent on us time wise and money wise growing up, you know you'd bring Officer Logan in or whatever who'd come and talk to us about all the things that were bad about marijuana and and you know scaring the bejesus out of us and And, uh, well, they've legalized it now. So all those conversations with Officer Logan back in grade four or whatever are like, oh, weird. Now it's okay to do that stuff. Um, But I think it goes back to the education of the child, enabling them to make good decisions is where we're... Whether or not they make marijuana legal or something else legal... I'm not, I'm not concerned about that.
1: Well, sure, you, you raise a good point about the education. And as parents, it's our responsibility and our duty to make sure that our kids are properly educated on that. But listening to you, you talk there, you seem to be taking quite the libertarian view there in that the libertarian view being that government should have more of a, a hands-off approach to certain things. Would that um, include you know potential well legalization of marijuana is a perfect example so yes. you know wh- where where does it go like where where does how far do we go in this libertarian view in that okay you are fine with the legalization of marijuana but what about the drug usage like wh- what 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 do you think about the enabling of of drug use with opioids Allowing that kind of well, you're drug using usage the word. to to continue on. Like, wh- where do we, you know, where do we stop in terms of, you know, it's all fine and dandy to to be open minded about certain vices, and, and we trust that people make the right decisions for themselves. But when you're dealing with opioids that are an extremely highly addictive substance, yes, and people aren't able to make rational decisions when they are using these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I.e. not able to stop use them. Absolutely, yeah. Stop so the, them, the, yeah. the key is, is, is addiction counseling, first and foremost. Like, get these people off the drugs in any way possible. I just think, in my, my own opinion, that by providing these needles and providing access to, to these drugs... It, it just helps them to to continue this this road hmm. um,
0: well if you look at Europe what some stuff they've done in Europe these programs in particular in Portugal they did remove criminal penalties for all drug use there decriminalizing is the other word for that um, they've done studies on it that says, say that after 10 years of doing that the number of addicts halved and the overdose deaths dropped by to thirty a year for the entire country, and that by spending more money on the healthcare aspects of it, rather than the police enforcement aspects of it, has actually led to very positive results. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and I'm not proposing that you send send in the SWAT team and and start arresting people left, right, and center. Throwing people in jail isn't necessarily the answer. And I agree with you in that you know with respect to the the criminalization of drugs throwing people in jail i, I don't think is going to really do a heck of a lot oh it's going to make things uh, well we've seen that in the, the u.s right yeah three
0: strikes rules things like you do three you f- three small possessions of marijuana you're going mm-hmm. to jail for life in california
1: well exactly and, and we talked about this before with our the one of our previous podcasts when we talked about the 13th mm-hmm. you know, the, the mass incarceration in the u.s so I am in agreement that mass incarceration of drug users, I don't think that, that solves anything. Rather than enable drug usage, rather than throw people in prison, the key has to be the whole drug prevention and addiction counseling. That That's the only way you're going to break this cycle.
0: Well, I think we'll, we'll probably leave it there because definitely this could be, a whole, whole episode could be devoted to this, multiple episodes. I, I would say, though, that a bit more knowledge about addiction and how it works and what and i don't know everything about it but like i said just from a bit of information that i got from from my friend about this is that it isn't about just shutting down cold turkey there is a process to it and that addiction is not about no stopping your access to something you've got to get to the some of the mental reasons behind why people are addicted Mm-hmm. You know, it's overeating. There's a vice. Just because it's legal to overeat doesn't mean less, more people are doing it or less people are doing it. You know, um, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think we'll uh, we'll probably move on. I think you, my guess is a lot of the comments you've made here are going to rattle a lot of people, especially those that have suffered with addictions. But um, as we've always said with this, we are. We like to kind of educate by some of the stuff we, we dig up and talk about, but we're also open to being educated. 13th is a prime example. Black Lives Matter, prime example. You had p- yeah. a position that changed a lot after George Floyd and after watching that documentary. Mm-hmm.
1: No, absolutely. And you raise a good point in that the reason why we like to tackle some of these heavier subjects is because... It allows us to have some honest and frank conversations. Yes. And we are open to learn as well. And I'm sure some of the, the viewpoints that I I talked about today, a lot of people would agree with. But at the same time, there's probably a lot of people that do not agree with what I just said today, that think I'm, I'm probably very ill-informed. And believe me, I do not pretend to be any kind of an expert in this subject, but I'm just voicing the The opinion of the average Joe here that picks up a newspaper. Wait, a sec. Wait. is it? I well, I, yeah, I believe so. In that, you know, the average person that picks up a newspaper and is reading this story are going to have some some thoughts and feelings about this. And I'm just yes. you know one opinion on the matter is going to be very several differing opinions. Yes, but,
0: but average Joe, I thought you were implying that average Joe is going to look at this and think this is not the way we should be handling addiction.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think the average person would say that. No, they don't agree with, with. Um, All right, we got to run a poll. I want to yeah. put a poll up <laughs> and
0: get people to fill in. Uh, well, obviously, what, nobody what wants to see needles.
1: Nobody wants to see needles thrown in parks. It's it's a bad situation when kids oh, can't totally. use playgrounds because it's because of drug. No usage. It's, there. It's a bad thing. So, the re- the point of my conversation today is: what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? It's simple as that. Well, what
0: if someone said, well, safe injection sites lead to reduction in those things, then what? Would you believe it? Or do you like...
1: I'd have a tough time believing that. I would. Because... All right, in, we got to do some more research. Yeah. Uh, well, and because... And we got to move on. Yeah. No, you're right. You know, th- th- this is something that we could discuss for like the next hour. Um, yeah. Th- okay. This is, this is something that uh, I think we we might need to revisit this. Um, actually yeah. I would like to revisit this. Well, maybe in a future podcast, um, I have some ideas on this. So All we, right. we'll we, be we back will, on we, that. We will come back to this.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, wanna I just was looking at my list of fantastic ideas for the podcast and I just noticed one now and I want to just go to it. Garbage receptacles as a place to advertise your business. What I, I noticed this yesterday, I was at the, at the shopping plaza and there's a number of garbage receptacles. You know, you put recycling, or tra- litter and, and whatever can be thrown into this to prevent people from just tossing it on the ground. And um, the, it's a box. It's got three little slots in it for each of the different types of, of whatever you're trying to get rid of. Recycling, garbage, etc. And I noticed that there are advertisements on these things. So on the side of a garbage receptacle, are adverti- like you can put an ad on this thing. And it's pretty big. I've got a, I took some pictures yesterday, of which I'll uh, share somehow in the show notes. Uh, and the funny thing is that it's a prevalence of real estate agents. All of the ones I saw were real estate agents who were advertising on the side of these garbage receptacles. So I'm just wondering here, do you think these guys think it through... When they imagine their brand, and in many cases, their faces, their faces are on the sides of these garbage receptacles. Um, I think I sent you one yesterday of that, which was this this guy here. He's listed on a side of a garbage receptacle, and his face is directly located below the litter slot. And uh, then there's cans and bottles, and then newspapers and magazines those are the three different slots but his face right below Mm -hmm. litter only no household waste the slot where you slide garbage into it's right there Mm -hmm. it's there right below yes (laughs) what what do you think this is they're just not thinking it through or
1: what do you think i think they are thinking it through in my personal opinion i think it's great advertising because think of the the volume of people that are gonna see your ad. And it's interesting that you show me that the picture of of the um, of the advertisement on the garbage can because uh, a good friend of mine is a mortgage broker who has placed ads on garbage cans. and he he's done that because it's a high profile area. Um, some of the locations that he's placed his ads have been at a hockey arena. Um, in front of bus shelters okay. on on a busy street. So, okay, bus shelter they, though that's different. I'm talking about garbage receptacles here. No, no, but the, a garbage receptacle next to a, a bus shelter. Oh, okay, okay. So yep. yeah, he he has advertised on on garbage receptacles, but I think the the thought process behind it is that uh, it's y- you have a, a large volume of people that see your ad, so. Yeah. At the end of the day, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's on a garbage receptacle. People are still looking at your ad, and it's still yes. putting your name out there. Um, so in terms of the the impact of advertising, the whole point of advertising is is to get your name and your, your message out there to be seen by as many people as possible. And I think if a, a trash receptacle, is weird as that may sound, but if a trash receptacle allows you to have a, a large volume of people to to see your face, then, I don't know, I don't really see a problem with it myself.
0: One A friend of mine told me once, I think it was, I'm not sure it was Audi, but it was one of the big luxury car manufacturers. And you see this at cocktail parties where people hold, host parties and they'll have their company logo on the, the napkins. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Audi that said, we absolutely refuse to put our logo onto a cocktail napkin at our events because we don't want people wiping their dirty faces with our our logo.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it.
0: And I look at yeah. the garbage thing the same way. I don't want someone shoving garbage into above a picture of my face advertising my business.
1: <laughs> well, as, as long as the garbage receptacle isn't your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be really creative, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, I guess so. But am I overthinking
0: well, this? Like, you know, like do you I think you know where I'm coming from here, but am I just taking this too far? Like I'm gonna be a, a minority in terms of how this might appear, like is this just sort of um deeper level
1: thinking that's sort of not necessary? Well, I'm gonna use the word that everyone hates is that it depends. I think yeah. if you are a real estate agent or a mortgage broker or you know whatever it is if if you're a small business owner or a small business person um or you're working for yourself. You know it's a very competitive market, especially anything connected with real estate. So you have to fight to get your name out there. Mm -hmm. And if putting your name on a garbage receptacle in a very, you know, in a busy intersection where your face is going to be viewed by thousands of people driving past this intersection every day, then I think you take that opportunity. Now. I think some companies, if you are a well-established company, or if there is a certain, I guess, image, or if it's a a luxury brand, then, you know, maybe advertising on a garbage receptacle isn't something that that you would go for. Um, I think certain companies, once they are established, they have the luxury of picking and choosing where they place their advertisements. Mm Mm-hmm but i think to the average small business owner it's it's a dog eat dog world or however that expression goes um, yeah I, I probably butchered that but it's a competitive world out there so you, you have to fight for your, no, your I advertising get it. space I get it. so yeah if if i was a, a small business owner and yeah i i, I might consider a garbage <laughs> receptacle i i might consider it because uh you you have to get creative and you have to um you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to have too much pride in saying, "Oh, I'm I'm too good for a garbage can." You know, a garbage receptacle might be exactly why people um, remember you. And at, at at the end of the day, if it works and if you get clients, uh, an uptake in, in customers because of that, then it's done its job.
0: That would be interesting. I'm tempted to call this guy on the advertisement. Actually, I'm tempted to call all of them and ask them if they know whether they've received business from the fact they advertised on these re- garbage receptacles or even mm-hmm. talk to them, you no, know, maybe, to, yeah. I would, so did you talk to your friend or you, you, you're thinking of talking to him about this?
1: No, I haven't talked to him about it, but after this conversation, I definitely will. I, I, Cause I think I'd it's love to a, hear it, that. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's a great, it's a great question you pose is that, does it work? I don't know. I, I don't know if it works um, I'm assuming it has to, otherwise why would people do it? I think it's it? going to
0: work. I think there's going to be some element of working. It's Just just because it works, though, is that the only reason to do it? And um, if I was just wondering, too, because the garbage receptacle has two sides to it. One is the side you put garbage in, and, the, and there's the back of it, which it doesn't. And I was thinking, I wonder if it costs more to have it on the front of the garbage receptacle, because that's where people are actually pushing the trash into and are going to come in from you know that's the side they're always going to be approaching, and my guess is it probably is slightly more expensive to put it on that side. But it'd be interesting to it could look be, into yeah. that a
1: bit. Yeah, when yeah, you know, I, as is um, I haven't had to. I haven't had the type of job where I have to advertise my business. So when it comes to advertisement. You know, I guess you have to think outside the box a little bit and, and think about places where you can advertise, um, because advertising obviously can be very expensive and handing out you know flyers in the mail. the traditional way of advertising doesn't really work as effectively as it did many years ago. Mm-hmm. So by advertising in a garbage can, or by advertising on on the side of a of a hockey rink, for example. Um, places where people congregate where people are going to see your, your face um, At the end of the day I, I don't know if, if the market research shows that those help at all you know to mm-hmm. be honest I I've, I've gone to a hockey rink and there's you know real estate agent with their face on the board doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to give them a call but I guess it's name recognition at least you've heard of the the individual um but right yeah where do i know day, your it, it name from
0: um oh yeah you're on the yeah, side of a garbage can. receptacle
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately it's well it's, I it's think sales that they want so i don't know i don't know if it creates sales I'm, yep i imagine it would be otherwise they wouldn't be doing it
0: <laughs> well my background is in sales and marketing so these sorts of things always grab my attention i think a lot about this kind of stuff and uh yeah, I, I just I think there's a reason why the prevalence of people who advertise on these things tend to be individual business owners like real estate agents. I I suspect they are more likely to do this um, versus like say um, a luxury car maker. Keep your eyes open. See if you notice if if vehicles are being uh, or if if what if you notice on garbage receptacles. Keep an eye out who's advertising on them. And I I have a feeling it's going to be a lot of these like real estate brokers and accountants and people that are kind of these sole proprietorships.
1: Yeah, yeah. With public faces. I definitely plan on asking my friend his thoughts on this. So uh, Yeah,
0: come back with that. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, for a future podcast, I think we'll we'll come back with an update on this. So to to be continued, to be continued.
0: All right, we're kind of running out of time. Um, should we wrap it there, or do you want to talk a little bit about your son and the hockey situation?
1: I can talk about the hockey if you want. Yeah. yeah and tell then me about
0: what's going on in, in kids' sports amid COVID, and in particular, in your son's case, it's hockey. Like, so what's going on with, with that right now?
1: Yeah, so my son, he's, uh, he plays house league hockey in, in Whitby. Uh, it's uh, under 11 age group. And again, this is house league, so I can't speak too much with respect to some of the, the rep teams because I, I think their methods are done a little bit differently. But we've obviously talked a lot about COVID over the last several months um, and the the whole idea of, quote-unquote, the new normal. And... With the return to play for hockey, it's it's much different from what we've seen earlier this year uh, before the, the shutdowns. So it's different this year in that, man, there's a lot of new protocols and a, a, a lot of changes um, to having kids uh, re- return to play for hockey. It, it's great that they are back. Mm-hmm. It, it's great that it provides some sense of normalcy so that kids can resume um organized sports which I think is very important but there's a lot of big changes that the first one being that um, the use of locker rooms is no longer uh, applicable so when kids arrive to the hockey rink it can be they have to be there 10 minutes ahead of their scheduled time it cannot be late otherwise you will not be allowed into the building yeah and kids have to be basically dressed and ready to go uh, minus helmet and skates But you have to dress them at home before taking them over to the game. Mm. Um, And then when they are led into the arena, it's only one parent per child. So you can't have two parents come in. Yep. And instead of bringing them into the, the change room, you bring them over to the other end of the hockey rink where there's chairs set up. So all these chairs are socially distanced apart. And that's where you you put on the skates and put on the helmet, that type of thing, and, and get them on the ice. But yeah, it's uh, yesterday was his first practice, and it was a interesting experience. Uh, the the new norm, as as I Do mentioned before. Do you have before. to socially
0: distance on the ice too, or they let it go there?
1: Well, this was a practice, so it was a little bit different, but there wasn't. Once you're on the ice, it's kind of hard to social distance because you're, you know, you still have to practice your drills and, in you know, play the game. I think there's differences this year in that I think, um, there's talk about no less physical contact, um, you know, with respect to, to body checking, that type of thing. So in in Mm -hmm. terms of how different the game will be played, that that's still to be seen. Um, but. Just yesterday, with being the first practice, it was a, a weird experience just seeing, you know, all these new protocols in place. And I understand why they're doing it and it's precautions and and being safe. Um, but yeah, it was it was, uh, it, it was a, a, a weird experience seeing all these new new changes and you know the the new norm of of not having. It's something as simple as, as the kids in the changing room bonding as a team. It's one yeah. of those things now where you just show up, you play, and then you go go home. Right, as soon as the game is done, you take your skates off and you, you, you leave. You have to get right out of, you have to leave the arena right away. So, So you
0: put your son in hockey because probably physical exercise, chance to be in a team environment, I'm assuming. What's the, does that still exist now?
1: Yeah, I believe so. You know he has some friends on the team, so I think it's it's still good for him to have the interaction. You may not have as much interaction with your teammates as you would in years past,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: at the end of the day, it's still good for kids to have that the, the physical activity to participate in in a, in a team sport. I think there's still obviously the um, I think the benefits outweigh the negatives. So you know, hopefully things improve over the course of the year, and maybe some of these restrictions can can ease up if the numbers improve at some point, which we hope that they do.
0: Yeah, because we've seen a spike here in Ontario, and yeah. there's been a number of measures. I was just on the West Hill hockey site, which is where my son used to play. It's uh, funny, you know, in this day and age, the, the so this is their latest update. This is from October 1st. It says, we've been informed by the GTHL, that's the Greater Toronto Hockey League, that they are following up concerns that have been raised regarding city of toronto's policies specific to cleaning facilities and ice permit cancellations Uh, we anticipate more information uh, from uh, coming from the city later this week we will share this information as it is made available to us so this was on october 1st and we are at the 18th and there's nothing in this website Mm -hmm. updating anybody on any of that also nothing about covid19 that immediately jumps out on this website so that's a little bit of a miss in my opinion we didn't put our son back in hockey when we arrived here in canada again just because i was just too concerned that they're just going to shut it down like after a couple weeks and that i don't know if they'll give money back or what they're going to do if i don't maybe there's some protocol around that like if they decide to shut it all down will you get your money back
1: that's a great question and that's a concern of mine as well in that what if further shutdowns occur? Um, I believe that, well, at least in Ontario, certain jurisdictions that have reverted back to uh, what they call the modified phase two is that teams are still allowed to practice, but there can't be any actual games. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it's it's a bit of a risk, absolutely. And it is, any hockey parent knows hockey is not cheap. <laughs> no. no yes. Yeah, so... Not. It's it's a concern and but to
0: buy the equipment and then to yeah. have them because my son will need a whole all new equipment because we've been away for three years so skates everything and that's you're looking at at least a thousand dollars if you go brand new just yeah. to suit up a kid uh, maybe not quite that much maybe five hundred ish but yeah still not like soccer where all you need is you know cleats and uh, the uniform mostly is provided as part of the registration but yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a risk. And, and we sign him up knowing that, yes, this was not going to be your typical hockey season. But yeah, if if fingers crossed, if he can get in the majority of the season or hopefully a full season, um, then th- that'll be a good thing for him. And it, it helped that most of his equipment from last year still fit him. So we didn't have to, aside mm-hmm. from, yeah, from the league help- fees, helpful. we didn't have to shell out a, a, a ton of money to get him to, to play again this year. So... Yeah. It's tough decisions for parents. It's, um, it's a tricky situation. Um, especially when you're shelling out a, a lot of cash. So yeah, it's uh strange times indeed. And hopefully things work out in the end, but it, it was good to see him back on the ice. It's, that's Go all ahead. it comes down to is that you want to see your kids be happy and, and hopefully, uh, you know, he has a good hockey season.
0: Well, I think that's a good spot to end it. Um, couple of heavy topics. Well, one heavy topic, sort of a medium-ish topic, and then a good way to close out just a little bit of a COVID update for the the little ones, at least in this part of the world. So good to be back, Paul, and uh, looking forward to the next time. Have a good week.
1: You too. Thanks.